0: Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. For the last couple of weeks, we've been receiving a little bit more normal Uh, than the normal amount of emails um, from listeners. I think uh, the last couple of episodes in particular have kind of captivated a certain group of believers, and um, we have tried to respond to all of those emails. Um, By the way, if you ever want to email me, it'll come directly to me, and um, not for chit-chat, but uh, I'm not much of a chitter or a chatter, Um, but if you ever want to email me about anything you've heard, on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast or anything kingdom related, maybe even a suggestion about some things to do an episode on, um, you can hit me up directly at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. It's singular, maverickmisfit.com. Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Um, the last couple of podcasts, I've focused quite a bit on how to, you know, how, how do we deal with recurring sins. In our lives as believers. And that was two podcasts ago in Romans chapter seven. I think I called it killing recurring sin, something like that. And then after that, I was in Galatians five in the last episode where we just talked about the fruit of freedom, what it means to get free and how to get free and the need to quit feeding your flesh and quit, quit living in such a way that your flesh maintains um, a strength and even a dominance over you, as you're trying to walk in the spirit. And I reinforced over and over again that kingdom principle from Galatians five one, um, or from Galatians five anyhow that talks about. Uh, I think it's verse sixteen actually. Talks about. Um, golly, I can't remember now. Verse six, maybe. Maybe it's Galatians five six. Anyway, read Galatians five. You'll figure it out. But it it declares boldly: if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So the key to mastering your flesh, the key key to conquering sin, the key to living a holy, victorious, triumphant, overcoming life in the spirit, part of it is you you have to quit walking in the flesh. And so I highlighted in that episode, there's things that we do all the time that are actually feeding our flesh, and you feed your flesh, it gets stronger. Jesus has crucified the flesh, but we keep performing CPR on it and resurrecting the flesh. And we need to leave it dead. We need to cooperate with him and killing the flesh. And then at the same time, you feed the spirit. If you feed the spirit, uh, your human spirit, being under the harness of the Holy spirit, if you feed yourself spiritually, you're going to reap life everlasting. You're going to have power. You're going to have wisdom. You're going to have insight. You're going to have a flow of spiritual giftedness, and you're going to have the ability to overcome recurring sins or weaknesses in your flesh. Trust me. I know Um, I didn't get immediately 100% sanctified when I got saved. I'm still being sanctified. But by the grace of God, through what he outlines in the word, I'm more sanctified now than I was when I began uh, my Christian journey 27 plus years ago. And um, I think going over these topics generated some questions in some of the listeners' minds. Maybe you're listening again. Um, And I appreciate you kind of prompting me a little bit to address this issue because I made a distinction in both of the last two episodes between habitual sin versus recurring sin, and I probably, maybe without going into depth, maybe even without going into enough depth, I just mentioned that habitual sin indicates somebody that's never been born again. Recurring sin is not the same thing as habitual sin. Recurring sin is a place in my life that I occasionally struggle with. It might be months in between struggles, or it could be years, or it could just be something I'm constantly aware of that occasionally pops through, but it's something that I'm putting to death, I'm aware of, I'm constantly battling it, and it's the exception in my life rather than the rule. That's different from habitual sin. Habitual sin is a stronghold it means you're dominated by it. It means you are either working in cooperation with it or you have given up and you've just let it take control of your life. Or maybe even that you fooled yourself into thinking you can you know, work off the habitual sin by trying to do in the rest of your time habitual good works. And the mind's tricky and the heart can be deceitful. And so The habitual sin issue keeps popping up through um, conversation and people that are writing. So I wanted to deal with it in what I consider the most clear teaching in all of the New Testament on this issue of habitual sin. And the clarity that we should receive just by reading 1 John chapter 2. So the book of 1 John is a very small book in the New Testament. It's right towards the end of your Bible. And it's small. You can read it literally in 25 minutes, probably the whole thing. But over and over again, the point of the Apostle John in the letter of First John is to help Christians determine, am I genuinely converted? Am I truly born again? Do I just say I have faith or do I actually have it? Because if I actually have it, then First John tells you, these are the things that will flow from a genuine conversion. And if these things don't flow from your genuine conversion, then your conversion is not genuine. It's very possible to have the appearance of of godliness, but denying the power. And conversion is not simply you sign off on a statement of belief, an orthodox view of theology concerning Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection and his promise to return. That's part of it. But there's a lot of people that will nod their head at the truth of the gospel, but have never been born again, have never been converted. And I say it regularly. Salvation is a surrender. Salvation is a surrender. It's not, you know, you signing your name to a theological document. Salvation is a surrender to a king. And prior to that surrender were all his enemies, were born sworn enemies of Jesus Christ, were sinners by birth, were sinners by choice. Jesus Christ came, broke the power of sin, took the penalty of sin, and declares that if anybody will bow to him and receive him as Lord of their life, then he will totally forgive their entire sin record, past, present, and future. He will make them a new creation through the new birth He will seal them with the Holy Spirit of promise. He will enter into a transformational process called sanctification that will eventuate into glorification, meaning you are becoming like Christ in this life. And then at the end of this life, when you see the Lord, this very book of first John says, when you see him, you will be like him because you will see him as he is, meaning you'll enter the fullness of your glory. But there's a lot of people, um, probably people listening to this podcast, certainly in churches that we all go to. People that name the name of Jesus with their mouth that have never, ever been born again. Um, just remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, scariest passage in all of the Bible, in my opinion. Matthew chapter 7, it's a Jesus forecasting the judgment, the final judgment. And he said, there's going to be many in that day. Don't miss that. He said many. It's not, it's not, not a, a couple. Many in that day who, as they are being cast into the lake of fire, they're saying, now, hold on a minute. Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? In your name, didn't we do signs and wonders? Sounds like he's talking to the charismatic church there, by the way. And by the way, I'm a charismatic. Don't get mad. Um, but, but Jesus is saying all these people were saying all this stuff that they did. And Jesus's answer to them is, I never knew who you were. You never introduced yourself to me. You're doing all this stuff in my name, but we've actually never met in the spiritual sense of the word. And so he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Meaning all that stuff they did in his name without being born again, it was nothing but works of iniquity. So this is not a small issue. And, you know, my goal is not to cause genuinely converted people to doubt their salvation. But my, my purpose is to have all people consider their salvation. And we're getting down to the end of the age, man. We're getting, the clock is ticking and Jesus will return. My personal belief is that it'll return in my lifetime. I could be wrong about that. Um, hold on a second. little frog in my throat there, but Jesus will be returning. And there's going to be a lot of people when he returns that are going to be shocked to find out that they were sham Christians. And I don't want that to be me or you. And so let's go, let's look at first John. Let me read you six verses from first John, just six verses. Uh, People ask me from time to time, what Bible translation do you read out of? Uh, I usually read out of English standard version. So the ESV, and that's what I'm reading out of today. And first John chapter two says this, my little children, I'm writing these, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know, now watch this, by this, we know, in which he, Jesus, walked. All right, so that's the first six verses of 1 John 2, and that's all the time I'm going to have to cover in the remainder of the broadcast, but it's going to be plenty to get us really, really thinking. And again, my goal when I read these verses is I examine my life. You say, well, Jeff, I thought you got saved a long time ago. I did. I did, I I accepted Jesus Christ on August 4th of 1994. But do you know that that experience that I had then means nothing if it is not validated today by me still abiding in the faith. It's not that my abiding in the faith secures my salvation, it's that a salvation that is secured will result in abiding faith. See, the salvation is the source of the perseverance. And so I have to look at my life now and say, Am I living out the evidence of a born again experience? And is that the regular pattern of my life? Now, clearly, this same book of first John says if we say we have no sin, that's first John chapter one, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So nobody here is saying that you reach a place where you no longer sin. And when you reach that place, you can know you're saved. No, you're, you're probably going to sin for the rest of your Christian life. You don't have to. But the experience is seemingly telling us we, we continue to be perfected. We continue to mature. We continue to be sanctified. And until that thing is fully complete, we battle against sin. But that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about habitual sin. We're talking about sin that is the normal pattern for somebody's life. And what's interesting, because people want to know, well, how much sin proves that we're not born again? What's the difference? between Where's the line of demarcation between a true Christian who's struggling with sin versus a false Christian who's actually bound in their sin? Um, well, the Bible does not draw that line for us. And one of the reasons may be is because human nature being what it is, if we knew where the line was, we'd walk right up to it, but never cross it. And so the wisdom of God leaves it undefined because the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Holy Spirit will show us, are we a truly born again Christian with a stubborn patch in our heart that we're seeking to slay so we can become more holy? So we can work the works of God, so we can be in alignment with God, but we have this besetting or recurring sin that we're trying to put to death. That's an entirely different type of person than a person who says they believe in Jesus, yet they daily walk in sin and they're unbothered by it. That's that's the people I'm concerned about. Here's my opinion. You don't have to agree with this. It may be because I'm a little pessimistic, but I've also been pastoring local churches since 1996. So I'm not a rookie at this thing and my concern is that there are multitudes of people that go to church every single Sunday but live in sin and they're completely deceived. They believe that they're born again but they're completely deceived. But there's men and women that are engaged in constant habitual sin who say that they're Christians. They sing the songs on Sunday, they believe with their minds the truth of the gospel, they've asked Jesus into their heart, they give and they serve but they're bound in their sins behind the scenes. And they're deceived because they're not a Christian struggling with sin. There are they are a religious person who has embraced some Christian ideas, but has not been converted. They've not been changed. They've not been transformed. They've not been baptized in the Spirit, in the sense the baptism of the Spirit brings power, radical power, that you snap the chains of addiction and habitual sin off. So what do these verses in First John 2 say? Well, He's writing the letter. He says it in the opening verse of chapter two. He says, I'm writing all this to you, all of chapter one, so you don't sin. So you may not live in sin. He's like, hey, we're not supposed to live in sin. But if you do sin, I want you to have some comfort for when you sin. What is that comfort? That we have an advocate with the father. And that advocate is none other than Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The righteous advocate. That's like a defense attorney, one who pleads your case for you that advocate is Jesus. So when you sin, Jesus stands up and says, in effect, if you can picture a courtroom scene, he says, father, the law is against this child of yours who has sinned, but I want to stand up and remind the court that this crime, this sin, this transgression from this one, has been completely paid for by me. Therefore, Father, the price is paid and he, this one or she, has sinned can go free. So Jesus is our advocate when we sin, but John is writing saying, but I don't want you to use that as an excuse to live in sin. I'm writing these kind of things to you so that you don't live in sin. You see, when we recognize that Jesus bore the full weight of our shame, our guilt, he paid our price to the fullest. When, when that becomes personal to us, when that moves out of the realm of a theological piece of information and it becomes personal that Jesus Christ died for you, he took your transgressions, multiple, precise, actual sins. And the penalty of that was placed upon him. He got in under that so that you never got under it and he paid it. When that becomes personal, you're not going to want to go out and send more like a person that would say, oh, good. Jesus paid for it. I can go do whatever I want. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus, for uh, basically putting everything on your tab. Therefore, it's an open tab and I can do whatever I want. That's not the gospel. Y'all know that. But a lot of Christians live like that because it's cheap grace. John's saying, no, when you actually recognize." that he is your advocate and he paid the price and he took the wrath and the punishment, you're not gonna wanna sin like that anymore because Jesus is that old English word, propitiation. Jesus is the full satisfaction for our sins and for the sins of all who believe on him. And then John says in verse number three, this is where I wanna get to. He says, this is how you know that you know Jesus. I'm paraphrasing here, but it's right there. Look it up in your Bible later if you're driving, but if you've got a Bible nearby, open it up. 1 John 2, 3. This is how we know we have come to know Jesus. What is it, John? How do we know that we've come to know Jesus? If we keep his commandments. So it's amazing to me that the first test in 1 John 2 is the test of do we obey the Lord we say saved us? Do we actually embrace his ways? Do we prioritize his priorities? Do we live as he lived? Do we follow in his steps? Do we do what he told us to do? Jesus said in another place, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things I tell you? Because Jesus is, man, he's heard it all. He's heard a bunch of people sing his praises and shout hallelujah. I mean, three days before they screamed out crucify him, they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is used to hearing people say one thing, but living another. So Jesus John is telling us here that the way we know Jesus is go straight to the heart of is your life a life of obedience not sinless perfection don't don't hide behind that because people run to that right Well, Jeff nobody's perfect therefore you know it doesn't matter what we do because nobody's perfect nobody can live up to that expectation so it doesn't really matter what we do because he did pay it all you need to be real careful with that because if your attitude is since nobody's perfect I conclude that I can live any way that I want to or that my sin's no big deal, that is not indicative of a born-again mind. That's not the heart of a true disciple. If we say, it's not no big deal, man, that, that one's sinning worse than me, and she's doing this, and he's doing this, and historically, they've done this, and Jeff, by the way, doesn't the Bible say that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all manner of evil? Yes, it says that Exactly. But it never says that. That's a Romans chapter six question. What, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? Paul said, no way, God forbid. And so the obedience test is important. You know, I'm thinking not only of, you know, my own life, the people that I shepherd at the church at Winder in Bethlehem, Georgia, the people that I used to pastor at New Bridge Church and Meadow Baptist Church. I'm I'm thinking like of you listening, and I'm thinking of a generation of people who um, you know if you're in your early 20s you didn't grow up under the same type of gospel that I spiritually grew up under where people preached on holiness and people preached the fear of God and people preached repentance and sin and you guys have been you know bombarded with you know superficial podcasters and and feel-good churches that want to pack their Pews out, and they never mention sin. They never mention the lordship of Jesus. They never, never mention the authority of the word. They're compromised on biblical morality. They're compromised on their definition of marriage and gender and social status, and 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 so therefore, there's nothing really to obey because after all, to be a Christian is just to feel happy thoughts towards God. That's a bunch of garbage, man. Listen, that's the kind of people that that are going to crack hell wide open at the end of the age because they knew about Jesus. But Jesus can say, yeah, but we actually never met Matthew 7. And so John says this, this is how we know we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. And then he amplifies it in verse four. He says, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's the Bible. That's not me. Whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So quick word of testimony. Uh, I was saved in 1994, but I started working. It took me two years. It was a two year on ramp for me to get born again. And those two years, uh, the guy who was witnessing to me, he was my boss. His name was Scott. And Scott um, was clearly convinced I was not a Christian, even though I said I was. And I said, I believe Jesus and I believed and asked Jesus into my heart. I was water baptized and I grew up in the church. And, you know, I believed the basic parts of the gospel that kind of comforted me that although I was living like the devil, I was holding on to that. Ask Jesus into my heart prayer. And so Scott would take me to certain portions of scripture. But the one that ruptured my deception was this verse. It was this actual verse. Whoever says I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I remember Scott just pounding that into me, man. I would fight him so hard on that, but he used it multiple times in my life. So he'd be like, Jeff, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, nah, I don't want to talk about it. And remember I was lost back then. Nah, come on, man. You can tell me I'm not going to judge you. I was like, all right. So I got high. I went out and got wasted. I was hanging out at the bars. I was doing this. I was doing that. And man, I wish I wouldn't do that stuff. But you know, I mean, that's just life. And wow, I'm so glad that That Jesus has forgiven me for all of that and that he died on the cross to save me from my sins. And Scott would say in one way or another, oh, dude, you're so deceived, man. I feel sorry for you. You're absolutely completely deceived. And then I'd get defensive and be like, man, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I've asked Jesus in my heart. You're judging me. He's like, now, Jeff, just read 1 John 2, 4. And I would read it and it says, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments. And by the way, the Greek verb tense there indicates is in a perpetual state of disobeying the commands of God. It's not somebody who goofed up. It's not somebody who occasionally slips. It's talking about the unbroken pattern in somebody's life. And if the pattern is more conditioned towards a lifestyle of disobedience, rebellion, and rejecting the commandments and the ways of God, the Bible says, no matter what comes out of that person's mouth, the Bible says they're not saved. It says they don't have the truth. And that when they say that they're saved, even though they're living in opposition to all things godly, the Bible says that person's a liar. So it's not, it's not vague. So when we're talking about this issue of, you know, habitual sin, we're talking about something like really, really serious. You know, the next verse says, in contrast to verse four, verse four says, if you say you know him, but you're living in rebellion, you're a liar. You don't know him. You're not saved. The truth is not in you. That's what the Bible says. And in contrast, verse five says, but whoever keeps his word in him in that person, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Jesus will walk in the same way in which he walked. And that's backed up in so many other places in scripture. So this is not me taking a passage of scripture out of context. This is me teaching it fully in context. John said, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you know that you know him. And so John's saying, you need to be careful because there's a lot of people who say they know Jesus and they don't. But for those of you who say, you know him, here's some diagnostics. And the first one he's dealing with here is, do you walk in loving, loyal obedience? Not sinless perfection. I'm going to call you out on that every time because that's where people like to run and hide. And what they do is they say, well, I'm not perfect, but no, that's not what I'm asking. None of us are perfect. Let's just go ahead and check that box. We already know if you were perfect, you wouldn't need a savior and you're not perfect after you're saved. So yes, we still battle. We still fail. We still have words, thoughts, and deeds that fall short of the glory of God. And those things are called sin, but that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about the deceptive spirit of the age that tells you, you can ask Jesus into your heart. You can go to church You can be fond of certain parts of the gospel, but that you can live and indulge in normal patterns of sin. You're not convicted. You're not grieved. You're not broken. You don't suffer chastisement or discipline from God, but you say you're a Christian and the Bible says, no, you are not. So for me, it took two years, two years. It took two years for Scott to finally get me to the place where I looked at my life and I looked at the word and I said, I got to quit calling the word wrong. And I got to admit that I'm wrong. It took two years. I was a stubborn mule, man. And then after that two years, this is how it looked. I, I can still remember where I was standing at, at the company I was working in. Scott was right there and he's following me around with his big Bible. And he had used this verse and some verses in Galatians 5 and Romans 6 and I finally just looked up at him, almost defeated, and I said, well, maybe I'm not saved. It took me two years to finally just grunt that out. Well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not saved. He told me later, after I did get saved, he told me that was a moment of victory in his process with me. He knew when I finally, it took two years to admit that, and he said, when you finally admitted that, Jeff, I knew you were going to get born again, and a couple of months later, I did. I think it was like three months later, um, I got radically born again, and guess what happened? I got the new nature. I got the nature of Jesus Christ in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. I became born anew, born from above, a new creation. Old things passed away. All things became new. And so at that point, immediately my addictions were gone. My addictions to alcohol and drugs. My immoral lifestyle got cleaned up immediately. Um, I started having a hunger for the things of God. Now, did I still sin? Yeah, I did. And, you know, ask me about last week. I can probably ask my wife. I'm sure there are moments where she could say, Yeah, Jeff sinned here, Jeff sinned here, Jeff sinned here, because sin is not me doing worse than somebody else. Sin is anything in any of our lives that falls short of God's holy perfect standard. So that's why we don't point fingers at each other. (laughs) Because if I'm pointing my finger at you and calling you some kind of sinner, then (laughs) I'm absolving myself because In order for me not to be um, guilty of sinning against God, that means everything I think, everything I say, everything I do has measured up to God's standard of holiness for that day. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. That's, that's not me. Um, I don't have, I don't have immorality in my life. I don't have strongholds in my life. I don't have repetitive sin in my life, but I do have places that I know that I'm weak, man, I'm weak. And those places drive the Christian to the foot of the cross. They never r- result in the Christian saying, well, that's just the way I am. Thank God for the blood and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deal with these things in my life. No, they, they, they evoke within us this passion to be delivered. We say like Paul did in Romans 7, who's gonna deliver me from this body of death? Thank God that Jesus Christ will. So guys, as I wrap up today, I'm just, I just wanna leave you with this. Um, I can't tell you where the line is. I don't, I don't know where a person that's, you know, habitually bound in their sin versus a Christian that occasionally struggles, but it doesn't matter if I'm diagnosing that in somebody else's life. Cause I'm not called to do that. I'm called to examine my life. You're called to examine your life. And so if we will be diligent about getting honest and serious about where our own lives are and quit comparing ourselves with ourselves. But that we'll look to Jesus and say, I know I'm not glorified yet. I know I'm not walking in sinless perfection. Like I will when I enter into heaven, therefore Lord, there's room for me to learn. There's room for me to grow. And I'm asking you, God, show me. Am I a genuinely born again, Christian? who occasionally struggles with sin? Or am I a Christian in word only, but I'm still under the power of sin because I've never truly been set free? And wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, I want you to know salvation is a surrender. If you can't look at your life right now and say, I'm walking in holiness. I'm walking in joy. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in peace. I'm fighting for it. I'm not always executing perfectly, but that's normal for me. I'm walking in the spirit. That's my normal life. If you can't say that, I want to encourage you. At the very least, commit yourself to the Lord afresh. Let him figure out if it needs to be defined as a salvation moment versus a rededication. I'm just saying surrender. I'm just saying acknowledge you need him at a level that you haven't acknowledged in a long time and get desperate, but don't let it just be some emotional moment. When we repent, we make changes. Some of you need to cut off some people in your life because they're terrible for you. I've said that the last three episodes because I felt it like really strongly that some of you listening, the only thing that's holding you back from your God-given destiny in Jesus Christ is that you're hanging around with people that don't have the same calling from God on their life as you do. And you very rarely rise above those that you've run most frequently with. And so you've got to make a decision. And some of you, listen, you just need to quit making provision for the flesh. If you've got an issue with occasional lust or porn or whatever like that, guys, uh, it doesn't have to be just guys, women too, then do whatever you need to do to where you cut that junk off. Like if you need to put filters on your devices, do it and give somebody the password, do it. Jesus said, it's better to enter into heaven with one hand cut off because it offended you while you were on earth than to enter into hell with both hands. So we got to get radical about this stuff. And I'll finish by saying this. Some of you, listen, I love you and I'm so zealous for your soul. Some of you need to get into a local church that preaches the Bible and, and, not or, and operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A baptism of power, a baptism of love, a baptism of anointing is necessary To live a holy life. Your disciplines will meet their match. Your your disciplined determination will find one day a temptation that's bigger than your determination. And the temptation will beat your determination. And you'll be back where you started. So you need a word, spirit, local assembly. And some of you, listen, I love you. A lot of good churches in Atlanta. But there are very few churches that are equally prioritizing the authority of the word and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And I say, without apology, you need to get into a place that prioritizes both. They teach the actual Bible instead of these you know, glorified TED Talks and these little how to do better in five minute things. That is, that's straight from hell, guys. That's nothing. It's a bunch of nothing. They don't honor you. They don't care about you. They may be deceived themselves, but you can't just say, well, they, they don't know any better. Get out from under their leadership. Place yourself under some spiritual authority that will care for your soul. And get in a church that honors the word of God and get in a church where the Holy Ghost moves. Yes, gifts of the spirit where you get to tap into the first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 reality that is given over every single Christian instead of this nonsense of cessationism that says the gifts stopped 2000 years ago. That is heresy. The Bible doesn't teach that. And while I am so grateful for my Baptist upbringing and I'm so grateful, I'm basically still believing about 95% what I learned as a Baptist, the Baptist denomination as a whole gets the gifts of the spirit wrong and it does matter. And if you're operating under the tyranny of sin, then you need to get in a place or bring the Holy Spirit to your church, you know, whatever that means, you know, you, you, you can't just say, well, yeah, we don't really flow in the Holy Ghost. Well, what, what are we winning the war with then? Or are we winning the war? So word and spirit. That's the call on our lives. And you and I, when we do so, we will find victory over things that we used to not have victory over. All right. My time's gone. The music is playing. That means I've got to wrap up. Check out transformingtruth.org. Hey, listen, if you want to support me, you want to support this ministry, get a copy of my book, wherever you buy books. My book is called Figuring It Out As I Go. It's my life story. And uh, it's not only entertaining, it's enlightening, but it'll help spur you on to stepping into your destiny. You will help support me and the ministry here. If you pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go, you can get it at transformingtruth.org. Or you can get it at Amazon or wherever else they sell books. And you can pick up a a copy of me narrating it audibly on audible.com. And as always, if you live in the area, come and visit me at the church at Winder. You can go to churchatwinder.com. Find out a little about, about the church and come and see us. We'll talk to you again next week on the next broadcast of Mavericks and Misfits. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.